It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. There is nothing more magnificent than the mercy of God and the revelation of our calling to be vessels of mercy. Let's go to the foundation scripture where we find that revelation. Romans chapter 9, verses 22 and 23, Paul asks the question, what if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, that's you and I, if you've been born again, that he might make known the riches, not a meager amount, but the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Now, there's two things about that passage of Scripture that grab my heart right from the beginning. Number one, you always seem to find glory and mercy connected in the Bible when it's with regard to God's people especially. And secondly, you were prepared for glory before you ever got here. God anticipated that you would belong to him. You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And the Bible said he is bringing many sons to glory. And it's an unspeakable glory, an indescribable glory. It will culminate in the experience of being glorified becoming eternal sons and daughters of God, shining like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. That's a revelation of the mercy of God that God would take us from the dust of the earth to the heights of celestial glory by his goodness and by his mercy. As I said, glory and mercy are found with each other in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, the lid of the ark was also a seat called the mercy seat, where the Shekinah, which is a Hebrew word meaning the one who dwells, the Shekinah glory of God rested on the mercy seat. So if you went to the mercy seat to receive atonement and reconciliation with God, automatically you encountered the glory. And if you encounter the mercy of God automatically to one degree or another, on one level or another, you will encounter his glory. Praise God for that. What is mercy anyway? It's really two things. Mercy is kindness expressed toward those who are hurting, damaged, or deprived in some way. And mercy is also compassion shown especially to offenders or those worthy of judgment, those who are of criminal behavior and deserve some kind of recompense as a result. And we're all of quote-unquote criminal behavior because we've committed the crime of disregarding God's laws. 
And some of you, uh, maybe your past is better than others, but we've all committed, quote unquote, crimes to one degree or another. There's a difference between justice and mercy and grace. Justice means you get what you deserve. I would ask for a show of hands. How many of you want justice? I hope none of your hands come up because I know what you deserve. It's the same thing I deserve, eternal death and separation from God as a result of sin. Justice means you get what you deserve. Mercy means you don't get what you deserve. Grace takes it one step further, and grace means you get what you don't deserve. But we're focused on mercy right now, that you do not get what you deserve. Where do you find the first evidence of mercy in the Bible? I believe the first evidence was right after the fall of Adam and Eve, when God came in the garden, pronounced curses on Adam and Eve and the serpent. But the last thing God did before he left the Garden of Eden, was to make coats of skin for Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness, which was highly metaphorical and symbolic. I tend to believe those coats of skins were made from lambs. And how were those lambs slain? Well, right after the fall took place, there was all kinds of an invasion of darkness that came into the garden area, I believe docile creatures were turned into predatorial beasts like lions and tigers and wolves began to prey on other animals like lambs or oxen, those that uh, were more docile in their nature. And quite possibly there were there was bloodshed throughout the garden. Who knows? We don't know exactly what happened, but somehow God got those coats of skins and it was a blood covering. It was a blood covering representative of what would happen later on to cover our spiritual nakedness. That was a demonstration of mercy because God could have walked out of the garden in anger, but he allowed his last act toward Adam and Eve to be one of merciful kindness He did something tender for them to remind them that he still loved them. And that was mercy. And then the next demonstration of mercy you find is when the first murder took place. When Cain and Abel brought their offerings to the Lord and Cain's was not accepted, Abel's offering was accepted. And Hebrews talks about it, chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, by which he received witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And watch the next part. And through it, he being dead yet speaks. What? What does that mean that he being dead yet speaks? Well, back in Genesis, after Cain slew Abel, God came to Cain and said, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know him. I'm my brother's keeper. Boy, that statement has lived on for millennia, hasn't it? And God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. If Abel's blood 
had cried out for judgment or justice, then Cain would have had to die also, because later on the law said a life for a life. That was capital punishment spelled out in the law of Moses. But apparently Abel's blood cried out for mercy to be bestowed on Cain. I assume that. I can't prove that. But for what other reason would God put a mark on Cain to preserve his life lest anyone kill him? That was the greatest demonstration of the mercy of God at the very beginning of our our terrible journey through the valley of the shadow of death. Mercy was demonstrated in how God dealt with Cain. And if God would do that for the first murderer to preserve his life, then how much more is he going to preserve you who love him and you express love for others and you seek to walk according to God's laws? Now, I want you to become acquainted with what I consider to be two of the greatest, most powerful scriptures on mercy to be found in the entire Word of God. And both of them are contained in Psalm 103. Let's start with verse 11. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him, And then it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. Well, first of all, how high are the heavens? It says, for as the heavens, plural, are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Well, we know the first heaven is the atmosphere around the earth, and I believe it also contains the cosmos beyond, the starry heaven, the material heaven. And then we know the third heaven is paradise. It's the manifest presence of God. What is the second heaven? I believe that's a realm of much angelic and demonic activity that is between the third heaven, the highest heaven, and the first heaven. That's where the prince of the power of the air dwells. He does not dwell in hell, reigning in hell, as he's depicted so often. That's not biblical. He roams through the second heaven and from that vantage point affects the earth with his army of demons under him. So the mercy of God goes through the first heaven, the material heaven, through the second heaven, and through the third heaven. It comes all the way down from that Mercy thrown on high because the mercy seat on earth was really symbolic of the mercy seat in heaven. And that mercy flows all the way down through the third heaven, the second heaven, and the first heaven to get to us. Think of that. The devil can't stop it (laughs) because you believe in the cross and you believe in the resurrection. There's no way that mercy can be prevented from getting to you if you fear God. And the word fear does not mean that you're terrified of God. The word fear has two expressions of meaning. And one of them means something very different than being terror-stricken in your mind. To fear the Lord means to be smitten with awe, to be overwhelmed with this sense of the greatness of God, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his holiness, 
and because you recognize how high he is and how holy he is and how lowly we are, you just want to melt in submission to his authority. That is the fear of the Lord. It's not talking about being terror-stricken. Just like the word great can mean two things. Like if you were walking through a parking lot and happened to step on a piece of gum and it stretched from the asphalt up to your shoe and you said, oh, great. The word great would mean what a horrible thing to mess up my day. But what if instead you got a healing from God and you said, oh, great. It means something completely different. Same word, but the connotation can be totally opposite according to the way it's expressed. And when the word fear is attached to of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, it means this absolute reverence for God, this reverential awe that is an overwhelming experience. And if you have that, the Bible said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the fear of the Lord is to hate sin. So if you have the fear of the Lord, then you hate sin and you've started on your wisdom journey toward things that really matter in life. And if you fear the Lord, God's mercy toward you is higher than the cosmos, higher than the universe, higher than the second heaven, and higher than the third heaven. Well, how high is the third heaven? That's impossible to calculate because if God dwells in the third heaven, it could be nearly as large as God. Of course, God is infinitely wide, infinitely high, infinitely deep, so much so that the Bible says even the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. But I can imagine that third heaven being so high it cannot be calculated. And that's how high the mercy of God is hovering over not only your life, but your children's lives if you're walking with God. Because Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, He is the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy with those who love him to a thousand generations. And if a generation is 40 years, that's 40,000 years. Now, we don't have that much time. I believe we are very close to the coming of the Lord. But if we had that much time, 40,000 years from now, when your name had long before been forgotten, there would still be mercy hovering over the offspring of the offspring of the offspring of the offspring that can trace their way all the way back to you genetically, just because you walk with God. That's how great the mercy of God is over your life. It can be shared to that degree. That's just verse 11. And then I told you the verse right after it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. There's a powerful revelation attached to that because I'm very glad it did not say as far as the north is from the south. You may say, well, that's the same. Why would it matter? Oh, it matters a lot because if you travel north, eventually you'll connect with south again. As soon as you top the earth and go over the North Pole, then you're going south again. I don't care how committed you are to get away from the south, you'll eventually meet it again. And then as you travel down south, you'll go around the South Pole and hit north again. So it's inevitable, cyclical. You can't get away from it. North, south, north, south, north, south, over and over. Inescapable. But 
If you travel east, you'll never meet west again. The only way you can ever meet west again is if you turn around and look back. And I think you get what I'm trying to communicate. Don't look back at the past. Seize the moment. Live for the future. Learn from the past, but don't live there and don't look back. Remember Lot's wife. You don't want to get paralyzed in your present by looking back. And that's what happens. Let's go to verse 17. The next mercy scripture that I think is one of the greatest. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. What a beautiful passage of scripture. And I'll take the last part first because your legacy as a Christian, especially, is to pass on the revelation of how to acquire righteousness. And it can only be acquired through the cross, where we become the righteousness of God when the blood of Jesus washes us, and then we have a heart to live righteously, and we have a nature that is created in righteousness and true holiness. And that revelation is a legacy you're passing on, as well as the testimony of a lifestyle that is righteous, that you have lived before your children and their children, and so on. That's more important than any financial or material legacy you can leave behind. But the first part says the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. The word everlasting means no beginning and no end. So if the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting, you can't find a starting point. If you fear the Lord, you can look back toward the past and see how the mercy of God has woven through like a thread, like a red thread, a scarlet thread of redemption is gone through every negative circumstance, every failure, every challenge, every hurt, every betrayal, every disappointment in life, every downtime, every uptime is woven its way through all the experiences of your past and went right back to your conception when you were conceived in iniquity and born in sin and the sin of Adam and Eve were transferred to you and the status of separation from God. Mercy went through that and canceled it and then went on out into the everlasting past. And if you fear the Lord, the mercy of God is everlastingly weaving its way into your future. And God has already stored up sufficient grace and mercy to restore you if you ever falter and get back up again and humble yourself God's mercy will meet you there at your place of repentance and faith. And the mercy of the Lord will go through your future and go right down into the grave if you happen to go that route before Jesus comes again and then weave its way toward the resurrection of the dead and the translation of living believers and then carry you on out into eternity future. So the mercy of the Lord is like this rainbow covering from your everlasting past to your everlasting future, and it's the promise of God over your life. Now, the title of this podcast is not only the magnificence of God's mercy, it also said miraculous manifestations. Magnificent mercy miraculous manifestation. Well, what are those miraculous manifestations? I'm going to share two, and then I'm going to close. Do you remember when Jehoshaphat 
heard the prophecy from an unnamed prophet. He was opposed by five armies, but the prophet said this, listen, thus saith the Lord, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And the Kohathites, which were Levites, jumped up and started shouting with all their might. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem bowed before the Lord and worshipped him. And so Jehoshaphat believed. And he sent his soldiers out on the battlefield, not with weapons of war, but with instruments of music and singing. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And God sent ambushments against the enemy and they began fighting each other. What kind of ambushments? Certainly not human. They must have been angelic and they created chaos in the enemy's camp. That's what I've been praying would happen in the camp of all the globalists that want to subject the world to their whims that God will create division and confusion in their camp. <laughs> and Jehoshaphat's army just went shouting through the midst of them. Think of that. And what should have been a valley of destruction became a valley of blessing to them. And the next one is the temple dedication at the Temple of Solomon. The priests and the Levites, they played instruments of music and sang, Praise the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And a glory cloud came into the temple, so much so that the priest could not stand up to minister. Wow. Glory and mercy together. They sang, praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. He is good, and his mercy endures how long? Forever. And the glory cloud came. So why don't you rejoice today? Why don't you Declare, praise the Lord, for he is good over your own life, and his mercy endures forever. And watch God send ambushments against all the demonic plots and plans against your life, and watch him send the glory into your present and into your future. Next week, we're going to go into our calling to be the merciful, and you'll be surprised how deep that's going to get. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.